Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor John Lindell, lead pastor at James River Church. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. Well, this morning, I want you to turn to your Bibles, uh, Acts chapter 21, if you would. And the message is on evaluating personal prophecy, evaluating prophecy. The Apostle Paul had somebody give him a personal prophecy. In fact, not just one person, but several people did. One of the people we know his name. His name was Agabus, and he came to Paul, and he said in verse 11, the Holy Spirit says. So when we talk about hearing the voice of the Spirit, let me just assure you, God is a God who speaks to people. The Bible tells us anything. It tells us God's not only interested in your life, God desires to speak to your heart. Over 300 times, the Bible says, and the Lord said. And so God wants to speak to you. And we're going to talk about hearing his voice, but we're also going to talk about how at times he speaks to us by way of a prophetic word that somebody gives us. It might be somebody we know. It might be somebody we don't know. But the Lord desires to speak to us. And in fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it says, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, verse 1, especially the gift of prophecy. Paul says this gift is so important because it does, as we're going to see three things, it strengthens, it encourages, and it comforts people. So prophecy has tremendous value. I say that because there's some who are here today, and maybe you've never heard of prophecy, so you're going to learn some things about it. There's others, maybe you've heard about it, and because it was so maybe bizarre the time that you heard about it, or you've heard stories, you're like, I don't want anything to do with that. And so what's happened is you're not open to that because you're not open to it. You're not experiencing it. Because God will do in our life what we value. Let me say it again. What do you value? The things that we value, that we put value on, are the things that God will bring into our life. So as we're talking about prophecy, let me give you a little definition here. Prophecy is when a person is prompted by God to speak to another person or group of people with a message from the Lord. God brings a message. In Acts chapter 21, God spoke to Paul, but think of this, even though God spoke to Paul, God spoke to other people to talk to Paul about the same thing. So if the apostle Paul was hearing from the Lord himself, in fact, we know that the Lord appeared to him on more than one occasion, but if Paul was benefited by having people use a prophetic gift in his life, how much more would you and I benefit from having prophetic words that would encourage us and strengthen us? Now, as we look at this passage, what I want to do, I'm going to do it a little differently. We're going to answer three questions. Question number one, what do we do when 
prophetic words differ. So let's say that some that somebody gives you a word or the Lord speaks to your heart about something, and now somebody comes and gives you a word that seems to be, at least on the surface, contradictory to what the Lord has spoken to your heart. We're going to look at this in the life of the Apostle Paul. He's on his third missionary journey, and as he was headed to Jerusalem, we saw this last week, Acts chapter 20, Paul says this to the Ephesian elders, and now compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me. So he senses the Holy Spirit leading him in his own heart, but he has the Holy Spirit warning him through other people that prison and hardships are facing him. That it would be difficult. You say, well, was it God's will for him to go to Jerusalem? Well, look at this in verse 20. And now compelled by the Spirit. A very interesting word. You could almost uh, read it now bound by the Spirit, like I'm tied up, like I'm chained, like I'm led. In other words, the, the working of the Spirit was so strong in Paul's life. He's like, I don't even have an option on this. You see something similar in the life of Jesus after he's baptized and he is, he goes out into the wilderness to a deserted area where he's tempted for 40 days. Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel says the spirit led him. Mark's gospel uses a different word. It says the spirit drove him out. The spirit pushed him out into the wilderness. Here what you have is the Holy Spirit is, has bound Paul. He has no other option than to go. It's a strong word. Acts chapter 21 and verse 1, after he, we had torn ourselves away from them, so he said goodbye to the Ephesian elders. They prayed, they wept, they hugged one another because Paul said, we're never going to see one another again. We put out to sea. Again, the we is Luke. He wrote the Gospel of Luke. He's not one of the 12 disciples. He is a doctor, and he's traveling with Paul. He wrote the Gospel of Luke, a record of Jesus' ministry, and he wrote the book of Acts. He's an eyewitness. We put out to sea and sailed straight to Cos. The next day, we went to Rhodes, and from there to Patera. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on board and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre, where our ship was to unload its cargo. Finding the disciples there, we stayed with them seven days through the Spirit. So again, the Spirit of God is speaking to these disciples. They urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Now, here's a little map because we're mentioning a lot of places. Remember, Paul starts his missionary journey in Antioch. He goes all the way over into Asia, huge revival at Ephesus, goes up into Macedonia and Greece. Um, then he gets on a boat and he sails back, sails past Ephesus, meets the Ephesian elders right here at Miletus, and we're picking it up in chapter 21. There's Kaz, there's Rhodes, there's Patera, there's Cyprus. And I just want you to get a sense. He's sailing on a ship to Tyre. He'll go to Ptolemaeus, and then he'll go to Caesarea, and then he will go to Jerusalem. 
So Paul is making his way to Jerusalem, and as he does, the Holy Spirit is speaking to people, and he's urging, the Spirit is, he's talking to people, and they're interpreting what he's saying as Paul shouldn't go to Jerusalem. So God's telling Paul, go to Jerusalem. These people are hearing from the Spirit of God. It's not going to go good for him in Jerusalem. And so they're, they're concluding from that that Paul shouldn't go to Jerusalem. Does God contradict himself? Does God say one thing to one person and one thing to another? How can Paul be hearing one thing from the Lord, but they seem to be hearing something else? Let me help you in, in thinking this through. It tells us, these verses tell us of one of the big dangers when it comes to hearing the Spirit of God speak to us. Whether that's through him speaking to our own heart or whether that's through him speaking through somebody prophetically to us. We have to be careful what we do with our emotions. We have to be careful that we don't let our human emotions drive the ship and become the basis for our understanding of what God's doing. In this case, the Spirit of God had spoken to these believers and told them what would happen to Paul. And when they heard it in their love for Paul, their concern for Paul, their desire to, to protect Paul, their emotion and their feelings toward Paul caused them to interpret what the Spirit was saying as Paul should not go. Look at it in verse 5. But when our time was up, we left and continued on our way. All the disciples and their wives and children accompanied us out of the city. They're on the beach. We knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship, and they returned home. You say, well, they're telling him not to go. He's going to go. Somebody's not correct in this. Well, we know Paul was hearing correctly. And one of the reasons why I'd say that is he has a track record in the book of Acts and it doesn't make a person infallible, I'll add that, but when a person's walking close to the Lord and they've learned to hear the voice of God, then you have confidence that when they say the Holy Spirit has spoken, that that is probably the case. We know this about Paul. First of all, he lives very sensitive to the Spirit of God. In Acts chapter 16, we saw that they're traveling across Asia Minor, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching. What was that? We don't know what that was. We just know they knew it was the Holy Spirit. Later, it says the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to enter Bithynia. We don't know exactly how that went down either, but they knew it was supernatural and that Jesus was speaking to them. During the night, Paul had a vision. So here's a person who knows how to hear from God. The second thing we know about Paul is the Holy Spirit never told Paul not to go to Jerusalem. He only warned Paul repeatedly. He says, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going. The Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships await. And finally, we know this. Number three, Jesus confirmed Paul was to go to Jerusalem and Rome. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage as you've testified about me in Jerusalem. So now you must also testify in Rome. Now back to Acts chapter 21. We continued our voyage from Tyre, landed at Ptolemais. 
where we greeted the brothers, stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea, stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven, and he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. So now he's at this place, and, and these ladies are prophets. We don't know anything about them uh, from the Bible, but many scholars believe that these women are the ones who gave Luke all the information that he needed to write the book of Acts because they were aware of things when Luke wasn't even around. We also know that the early church fathers said Philip's daughters were commonly known, and this is from Papias, they were known as informants on the early history of the church. Eusebius says this, he quotes Papias and adds that the daughters conveyed divine revelation to Luke as he was writing the book of Acts. So we believe this, that all scripture is inspired by God. It's God breathed. That it was people writing scripture, not on their own, uh, of their own imagination, but the Holy Spirit came on them and directed what they wrote. And in this case, the Holy Spirit came on Philip's daughters and, and gave them divine inspiration for what Luke should write. Acts chapter 21 and verse 10. After we'd been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Now, this Agabus, we met him in chapter 11, and he, he prophesied a famine that would happen in the Roman Empire and actually happened during the Emperor Claudius' reign. So Agabus is a well-known prophet. He came over to us. He took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, the Holy Spirit says... In this way, the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. So it's a very graphic picture of what is going to happen to Paul. In verse 12, when we heard this, and the we, notice this is Luke. So when Luke hears this, Luke is like, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Listen, here's the thing. When prophetic words differ, what we have to be careful is that we don't, in our interpretation, go beyond what the Lord said. We need to hold to what he said and not add to it and not let our emotions get into it and cause us, in their case, emotionally, they're like, well, you shouldn't go. That's not what Agabus said. Agabus said, when you go, they're going to bind you. And the people were like, well, that means you shouldn't go. And Paul's like, no, I'm supposed to go, and you love me, and so you're misunderstanding the prophecy. We've got to be careful when we hear the voice of the Lord that we only hold to what he has said, and we don't let our emotion cause us to come up with an interpretation that would be incorrect. Number two, a second question. What do we do when people try to dissuade us? What do we do when people are not for it? Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So, so they're, they're sobbing. And now instantly it becomes difficult for Paul to follow the will of God. You know, as I read this, I couldn't help but think how many people never do what God has called them to do, not because they didn't hear from God and not because the devil stopped them, but because relatives or loved ones 
talk them out of following the Lord. You know, sometimes you're going to be in a situation where the Lord is going to speak to you. And let me say this. When you, when the Lord speaks to you, I don't think anybody is safe to just be unilateral in there. Well, the Lord spoke to me. I don't care what anybody says. I think it's good to have people around you that when you feel the Lord has spoken to you, you can talk to them and say, I believe the Lord has spoken this. What do you think? I don't ever assume. I'm, I'm always asking. I mean, I'm thankful for Debbie. She's a, she is wonderful in the sense that when I feel the Lord has spoken something in my heart, I'm going to go to her and say, what do you think? Or there are other people, like there have been times that, that there have been prophetic words, and, and I've shared them with people I respect in the Lord to, to ask, do you think this is correct? So I don't think it's good for any of us to say, well, I've heard from the Lord, and I'm going to do what I want. At the same time, we have to be careful when we've heard from God, especially what we do with people who don't know the Lord, their comments. So you could be a believer. Your parents are not believers. Now all of a sudden, they, you're telling them, I'm going to do this because you feel God has called you and, and it's been confirmed. As you've prayed with other people who love the Lord and now you're moving in that and, and your parents say, oh, I don't think so. You have to, you have to be able to, to know that you've heard from the, from the Lord and be, be willing to follow the Lord in that area. Now, Listen, if you're at home and you're under your parents, then you need to obey your parents. And, and the Lord may be speaking things to your heart that are for that time when you're no longer living under their protection and leadership in the home. So I'm not advocating you hear from God and you disregard your parents. The Bible says, children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. So I can't chase down all of the questions that can arise in these kind of things, but I, I do want to make that comment. One of the things I'm concerned about is moms and dads, though, that your, children is, your child has heard from the Lord, maybe about the mission field, for example. And all of a sudden, because you're afraid of the danger or you're afraid, well, if they go over there, I'll never see them. And if they have kids, I'll never see my grandkids. And so you try to talk them out of it or you're concerned maybe for their safety. In those moments, you need to be objective enough to accept that the will of God is as safe as the sovereignty of God is strong. That God is able to protect. He's able and you have, to be, you have to be willing to release your children. So when I was in college, I was, I, I was called into the ministry, and, and um, my dad at the time didn't know the Lord. And uh, so when I told him, I went home at Christmas break, and I told him, we sat down, and I said, hey, I just need to let you know um, I've been called in the ministry. And I knew what my dad would think, because um, while he was not against pastors. It was not what he wanted his children to do. And so he, he said to me, he said, um, well, I don't know. Have you ever thought about being a chiropractor? <laughs> I was like, what? Where did that come from? I said, no, dad, I, I haven't thought about that. And he said, what about being a petroleum engineer? 
And I was like, Dad, I hate math. That's, that would be terrible. I'll flunk. He's like, well, have you thought about the military? Not already crossed that, that bridge. I was like, no, no, Dad, I'm, I'm called the ministry. It was a very difficult thing for him to accept. And, you know, there was this whole conversation about, you know, well, don't you think you ought to get a degree that in case you fail in the ministry, you'll have something to fall back on? I said, no, that's, that's not my plan either. So, you know, helping him, eventually, you know, he began to accept it and then ultimately was saved. But um, you're going to have people who love you who don't know the Lord who are not going to understand the voice of the Lord speaking to you. And that's why it's helpful to not only have trained yourself to hear the voice of the Lord, but to have people around you who can help you discern if you're hearing correctly from the Lord. Here's Paul, and he says, you know what, I'm ready to die. And in Acts chapter 21 and verse 14, when he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. They sensed that he knew what God wanted him to do. So when people try to dissuade you from doing what you know God has spoken to your heart, you have to rest in the fact that God has spoken with clarity and move forward in that. Let me say this, when it comes to hearing his voice, and I've said it often, but I like to repeat it every now and then so that it becomes a part of your own thinking. When it comes to understanding the will of God for your life, peace is the umpire when it comes to God's will. If you don't feel a peace, don't do it. If, if you're not at rest, because God may ask you to do things and you don't understand how it's going to work out, but if he asks you to do it, you can rest in the fact that he's going to go before you and he's going to take care of you. It's a dangerous thing to know God has spoken to you and to say, until I can see how it's going to work out, I'm not going to move. I remember when Debbie and I were pastoring in Western Kansas and, and the Assemblies of God for Kansas asked us to go to Kansas City and start a church at Overland Park. And the first time they asked us, I, I was... You know, Debbie and I prayed about it. We said, no, we're not interested. Second time, same thing. Then I was praying in the, in the auditorium at the church there in, in Colby, Kansas. And the Lord spoke to me and said, they're going to call you this week. And they're going to ask you a third time to go. And when they do, you need to go. So I went home. I told Debbie at lunch. I said, hey, guess what? This is what the Lord spoke to my heart. And sure enough, a couple days later, they called they asked us to go, and um, so we were gonna we were gonna move there, and and they asked me to come down and meet with them at their headquarters, and I did, and we came back. I came back, and and um, Debbie said, "So did they ever say what they're gonna pay us?" And I said, "Well, I, I didn't ask." She said, uh, "Excuse me, we have three kids. <laughs> you know how how do you know we can live on it?" I said, oh, I don't think we can live on it, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> now, I'm not, at, I'm not advising that for you. I'm saying everybody's different. And my motivation is, has never, it's always been, what does God say? And we'll figure everything else out after that. But I was at perfect peace is the point. In, in knowing this is what God called me to do, therefore, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to trust him to work out the details. 
They didn't pay us enough to live. You know what? You, you say, well, what's up with all that? All I know is that the first day we were there, the first full day we were in our duplex, a guy who pastored the largest church on the west side of the state line in Kansas City showed up with 17 bags of groceries. He personally did that. And it was God's way of saying, listen, you don't have to worry. I'm going to take care of you. He's the God who does that. So you can have a peace even when you don't understand. Well, number three, third question. What are the dependable signs that the Holy Spirit has spoken to us? Number one, let me, let me just say this. We have to understand that not every voice is God's voice. There are three voices that a person can hear. One is their own voice. You know, sometimes we can want something so bad, we can, as it were, put words in God's mouth. We can think, well, God is speaking that to us. When it's not God, it's us telling ourselves that. And, and maybe at the time thinking it's God saying it, but it, it isn't. So the art of maturity in Christ is learning to discern the voice of God in our life. I want to suggest that you will spend the greater portion of your life developing that ability. And it's a wonderful pursuit. You say, well, what about my conscience? I, if my conscience says it, listen, God can speak through the conscience, but the conscience isn't necessarily God's voice. In fact, I would suggest that there are some people here and your conscience, you view your conscience as God's voice, but your conscience isn't well-trained. And because it's not well-trained, here's the way it goes for you. You have an accusing conscience. You have a hyperactive conscience that is constantly accusing you, and you think it's God, and it's not. In fact, I think there are some people who, who give up trying to please Christ because they think God is the one that is speaking to them through their conscience, and it's not their conscience at all. They've never trained their conscience relative to grace and the goodness of God. The writer of Hebrews says this, we have to train ourselves to discern good and evil. You have to learn to think biblically. You have to learn who God is, and that shapes your conscience. But without that, your conscience can run wild. Let me suggest this as well. I don't encourage people to violate their conscience either. You say, well, man, now I've got a bunch of questions. That's when you need to come back in a few weeks because we're going to talk about the conscience. But all of that to say, the conscience isn't necessarily God's voice. God can energize our conscience, but sometimes that's not his voice. There's a second voice, and that would be the devil or a demonic voice. Listen, Paul tells us that Satan can masquerade as an angel of light, so he can say deceptive things that seem like they came from God, when in fact they're not from God at all, but it's the enemy that's energizing a, a thought in your mind, or maybe energizing somebody to say something to you who's even a Christian. You say, oh, can that really happen all the time? I mean, think of Peter 
Jesus says, I'm going to the cross. And Peter puts his arm around him. He says, Lord, I know it's been a hard day, but that's never going to happen. And Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. Peter, the closest one to Jesus, it was used by the enemy in that moment to discourage Jesus from going to the cross. So sometimes the enemy can be involved in speaking or planting thoughts or, or speaking through people to us. And we have to be able to discern that. Then there's the voice of the Holy Spirit. You say, how do I know if it's the voice of the Holy Spirit? First of all, he'll speak consistently with his word. So let me just say this. I've had, we've had people through our ministry who have come and said, the Lord told me this. And it, you say, well, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't think he did because that's a direct contradiction to the word of God. Like, well, I know, but I know the Lord told me. Well, no, he didn't. You're deceived because you think he's talking to you about something. God is not going to contradict himself. So you have to know the word, but if it's consistent with the word and there's a peace and you sense his presence, then you know it's the voice of the spirit. Now, let me put it this way. Oftentimes, it's what I would call a prompting. You feel a prompting, you know, like maybe I should call that person. All of a sudden, that person, that's the way I'd interpret a prompting. You know, all of a sudden, you can't get this person off your mind. You're thinking about them all the time. You're like, you know, I've, my brother, I was thinking of him for a whole week. This is a couple months ago. And um, for the whole week, I couldn't get my mind. Finally, I was like, I have got to call him. I said, hey, what's up? He said, what do you mean, what's up? I said, I can't get you off my mind. What's wrong? He said, well, I haven't told anybody. I said, what do you mean you haven't told anybody? He said, well, I've got cancer in my colon. You know, the Holy Spirit was speaking to me because I was praying long before I called him. But the Holy Spirit was leading me, prompting me. Did he speak to me? No, he was prompting me to call him. So there's a prompting. Then there's times God speaks to you and you know that you know. There's anybody who's ever had that happen? You know what I'm talking about. You know that you know that you know that you know that you know. There's no doubt in your mind, this is God. He has spoken to me about this, and you just know. And that's a wonderful thing. Most times, it's through prompting. Most times, it's through the energizing of his word. Most times, it's through God speaking through other people to us. Well, number, number two, a prophecy should strengthen, encourage, and comfort, not beat you up. So a lot of times people have this Old Testament mentality of the prophet, you know, with the bony finger and the long beard, and he's speaking to the angry king, and thus saith the Lord, you dirty dog, you're, you know, and, you know, and people do that, and they're like going to strike you down and say, you know, I've, I've had people who've written these angry prophetic words, and that's not consistent with the new covenant. That's not how prophecy works under grace. Here's how prophecy works under grace. 1 Corinthians 14. But one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. So prophecy is different in the new covenant than it was in the old covenant. You say, are you saying you can't confront 
people's sinfulness. I'm just suggesting that the Spirit of God, since the Spirit is the one who, who energizes prophecy, the prophecy should reflect the character of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. So it might be like this. God might show you that somebody is involved in sin. And what you would do is you may say, hey, you know what? I feel like the Lord has shown me you're struggling in this area. And the Holy Spirit wants you to know if you'll look to him, he will help you and deliver you. Do you see the difference? That's grace. That's gracious. You're still calling them to turn from sin, but you're not doing it in an angry, judgmental uh, way that drives them away. You're drawing them to Christ because the Spirit and the bride say, come. Always the Spirit is saying, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. The, the Spirit is gentle. That's who he is. So that's how when somebody gives you an angry prophetic word, what you need to say is, hey, you know what, that, that's, they're operating in a, in a different covenant than we live in. So it should strengthen, it should courage, it should comfort. Every prophecy should be weighed and tested. Now think about this. In the Old Testament, prophets were judged. So in Deuteronomy Moses makes it very clear in chapter 13, chapter 18. Listen, if a prophet speaks and it doesn't come true, don't fear him and don't have anything to do with him. But in the new covenant, it's different. I've heard people apply that to people who are learning to prophesy. Now listen, when you're, when you're learning to use the gifts, gifts of healing, gifts of discernment, words of knowledge, uh, interpretation, prophecy, all of them, you're learning. And you're going to make a mistake now and again. And you don't write somebody off. So in the Old Testament, the way it worked is you judge the prophet. In the New Testament, the way it works is you weigh the prophecy. You judge the prophecy. Do you see the difference? So that in 1 Corinthians 14, let two or three prophets speak. Let the others weigh what is said. You say, what am I way? Does it contradict Scripture? If it contradicts Scripture, then you go to that prophet. You say, listen, what you're saying is not consistent with Scripture. So something along the way isn't right here. And, and you again, you love people and you want to help people work through that and understand the difference. So we need discernment to weigh it. Well, number four, and this is the last thing I'll say, we want to value prophecy in our lives. In 1 Thessalonians 5.20, Paul writes something really interesting. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. You know, there's some, and I would put myself in this category, I, I had received so many wild and at times negative prophecies that I really built kind of an, an insulation around myself and just said, you know what, I, I think most of them are off. I just kind of drew that conclusion. I didn't have any empirical data, but I had seen so many wild things that I became a bit skeptical of personal prophecy unless I really knew the person. And so my circle of people that I would be open to any prophetic ministry was very limited, which meant I had very few prophetic words. 
You see, what's happened to some of you is you've never opened yourself up to God speaking to you in that way. And, and, and it's because either you've been skeptical, maybe you've been sarcastic, maybe, maybe, you've, maybe you've never known about it or thought about it, but I'm talking to people who've been in the church world for a while, and you know what I'm talking about, personal prophecy, and you're like, eh, I don't, I don't really need that. Listen, if, and, and I'm kind, I was kind of in this camp. Listen, if God's going to say something, I'm all ears. I pray. I listen. I'm reading the Word. If He's got something to say, I don't know why He's going to tell somebody else before He tells me. See, the problem with that is that that's very spiritually independent. That's very ignorant or ignoring the body of Christ. Implied in that is something that is spiritually dangerous. It's the idea that somehow I had all the pieces to the puzzle in my box. And I could put the picture of God's will for my life together just off the things I knew. And God is never going to let any of us live there. God is always going to work in a way that creates interdependence, that creates community, that creates a reliance on brothers and sisters in Christ. We need one another. We need to pray for one another, and we need to be prayed for by other people. We need to, we need to hear from God for ourselves and have other people who are also hearing from God and, and sensitive to the Lord who can help us and, and can work with us. We, we need the church. We need sermons. We need life group. We need interaction with other people. And we need to be open to what God might prophetically say to us about the situations we face. Second Chronicles chapter 20, King Jehoshaphat, he's going out there. They're being attacked by an overwhelming army. And Jehoshaphat says this, listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God and you'll be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets and you'll succeed. There's some of you and you don't have this line in your spiritual walk with God. You're like, I believe God and I'm going to stand. But you're not willing to listen to the prophets. So you're limiting your success. In the book of Ezra, there's another scripture the elders of the Jews built and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo. Two years ago, I was reading these, those passages were actually what I was, I was looking at and just looking at, thinking about prophecy and the Lord really convicted me um, that I had not been listening to prophetic things. I had no interest in it. I had, I had very little interest in it. Now, if you came and told me you had a word, I, I would not, you know, say, forget it. I'd just say, write it down. I'll, I'll look at it. But when I looked at it, I was, I was not contemplating it deeply. I'll be honest with you. Unless I knew the person and thought they were pretty solid in the Lord. But the Lord convicted me and said, John, you have very little use for prophecy in your life. And I can't do in you and through you what I want to do unless you, unless you open up that part of your life to allow me to speak to you through other people. And honestly, at that point, I repented. 
I was like, Lord, I want to hear everything you have to say to me. And I realized that I'd pretty much thrown the baby out with the bathwater because a few people had written bizarre things, angry things, unkind things in the name of the Lord. And I was like, who needs that? And so I was like, Lord, whatever you want to say to me. You know what's interesting? When I look back over my ministry, honestly, very few prophetic words. And then when I prayed that prayer, all of a sudden, I started getting words that were powerful. Words that changed my life. You see, when you and I value what God values, we're going to get what we value in life. Honestly, we are. And as soon as I said a value on prophecy, I got it. And I mean, I'll tell you one. You say, well, what, what happened? So later that fall, you know, at the time, if, if you were around here, I had, um, I had postural orthostatic tachycardia, which is where your heart races and you can't predict when it's going to happen or how it's going to happen. And I'd kind of warned the congregation a few times. They pray for me. I'd go forward for prayer all the time. But hey, if this happens, I'm going to be laying on the floor and preaching to you. Don't worry about me. I'll be fine. Don't call an ambulance. We'll all be good. But your heart beats like 220, 230 beats a minute. And then it dumps all the adrenaline, all of the all of your minerals into your body. It's the fight or flight thing. And then you're exhausted for two weeks and it's just terrible. And so um, one Sunday, it happened on a Sunday morning. And so I could feel it coming. I was trying to stop it. I couldn't stop it. I look over to Brandon. I'm like, you know, trying to get him to, to come and take the mic and make a graceful exit. And he brings me a Kleenex and I'm like, that's not gonna work. Get a mic, get up. So I go, I go back and I just get behind the curtain and I'm on the floor. And, you know, I'm just, it's, my heart's going crazy. People are like, should you want to call an ambulance? No, I'm not going to waste my afternoon at the hospital. Um, so, and I, it, there's a time for an ambulance, but I've been through that enough. Um, so anyway, that's going on. There's a gentleman in the church um, who calls a friend who's a, got a prophetic ministry out in North Carolina. And he's just talking to him. He doesn't bring up anything about that or anything about the church. And the friend says, you go to James River. The Lord has shown me God's going to do a work in that church and through that pastor that has never been done before. Now think of that. Then the guy says from here, says, well, you know, today he went down with a heart problem. And I mean, I'd had this. I'd been to Mayo Clinic. They said, people who have this, a third of them retire. A third of them struggle, 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 and a third of them get better, and we don't know why, but usually they're people younger than you. So anyway, there's no cure for this thing, but he tells, the, the guy from here tells that prophet that, and here's what the prophet says. He says, that is caused by an evil spirit who is trying to stop what God wants to do through him and through the church if he will have people close to him fast and pray for 30 days. It'll break the power. He'll be healed. That's very specific. So I get the word in November. I call people. I tell some people close to me, our leadership team, hey, here's, here's the deal. I just need you to, if we can just kind of figure out how we're going to fast and pray. Let's all fast and pray the next 30 days and break this thing. 30 days later, 
It's like a switch turned off. I'm, I am instantly, I can tell I'm better. It's, it's gone. I mean, at that point, I mean, I'm 35 pounds heavier than I was then because, I mean, I was, I was in bed all the time from that kind of thing, and it's gone. I've never, my heart's never raced once except when I kissed Debbie. I mean, honestly, that's the only time it kind of goes crazy, but <laughs> anyway, and that is true. So, you know, I'm just telling you there's value to prophecy, and we need it. And we should value it, and God will use it. Amen?